Welcome to The Favorites, the podcast from the Action Network. I am Chad Millman. It's the middle of August, folks. We are less than three weeks away from the beginning of college football, from week zero of college football, which means today is going to be a college football spectacular from the perspective of what the wise guys are doing and who they're betting and who they like. So later on in the show, you're not going to want to miss it. Phil Steele, Phil Steele's 2019 college football preview is out now. You can go to philsteele.com and get it. Everybody knows that if you are a better, the Bible for college football in preseason magazines is Phil Steele. And every better I know religiously reads that magazine. And I learned this from my favorite co-host, Mr. Bob Scucci. Does not get old, does it, Scooch? The music, yeah, the music is back. I like it. Bob Scucci from the Orleans and all the Boyd Gaming books throughout this great nation of ours, bookmaker to the world. That music gets me so psyched up for you to come on the show. It's inexplicable. And to talk football already, it seems like we were just doing it a few weeks ago. We were. We did it last week. <laughs> exactly one week ago we did it scooch you and i okay you and i talked about football and we're going to do it again like last so week fresh in my mind yeah i know i know these <laughs> these moments are so important for you hey by the way let's give a shout out here let's give a shout out to one of our favorite people okay i'm going to give a shout out to evan young right do you know who i'm talking yeah, about absolutely um Evan Young, who in the years past has won the uh, Get Your Prop Up in Vegas contest for uh, gets, gets, he picks a prop and creates it and Scooch picks the winner. And for the Super Bowl, uh, he gets it up in, the, in Vegas, right? So he's won it a couple years in a row. And the little backstory, he used to come on the podcast and he became friends with a guy who also had entered the contest and they sort of connected through the podcast. They became such good friends that... This other guy went to Evan's wedding, which happened recently. Evan and Kirsten, right? And last year before the wedding, Evan and uh, Brian came on the podcast. And Brian had asked me and you, Scooch, to sign a copy of the odds that he could give to Evan for the wedding, which he did, which was very nice. Evan, since uh, Evan this past weekend, sent us the wedding video, like the 10-minute wedding video from him and Kirsten's wedding. And his and Kirsten's wedding. And it is drop-dead lovely, drop-dead romantic. You you know how much I love love. I've seen yep. you. I've been to your wedding. I know how much you love love. Yep. You cannot help but love this wedding video. That was great. I so appreciate seeing that and having you send that to me. That was great to see. Oh, my God. It was so awesome. So we're wishing Evan and Kirsten the best. Uh, I hope they're still listening to the podcast together. And um, we want them to be happy and healthy in marriage. And also, the best part about the wedding video, and the reason Evan sent it, is because his father-in-law, the opening line was, I know Evan likes to bet on sports, 
and I know he's really good at betting on sports, and I'm betting on this to be a long and happy marriage. That was a great line. Just seemed like it was a fun wedding. Kind of wish we were there. Yeah. Now that yep. I think about it, it's a little weird he didn't invite us. <laughs> a right? little hurt. It's a little yeah. weird. A little hurt. Yeah. A little weird he didn't ask either one of us to officiate. <laughs> I'm sure the bride would have appreciated that. How were we not the people that were hosting, like that we were the hosts? Now, everybody... Welcome, Evan's father-in-law, and he's going to give a toast. Like, <laughs> now that I think You're about it, it, now you that I think about it, all the goodwill I'm passing along to Evan, I'm taking back because I can't believe we weren't invited in a part of this wedding. Right. Yep. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Scooch, like I said, I got Phil. I got Phil Steele coming on later on in the show, and okay. as you know, Phil Steele is a uh, college football savant whose magazine is uh, beloved by every better in the world. So the same, same exercise last week, only this time for college football. Right now, Scooch, give me the teams that are the biggest liabilities because the wise guys are pounding them in terms of future odds for your bevy of sports books. Okay, well, I'll, I'll separate just a couple out. The, the, the wise guys are, have bet Georgia down. We were at uh, eight to one. We're down to six to one. Uh, but they're not the team that we have the biggest liability. The team that we have the biggest liability is actually USC. But I wouldn't call any of it uh, sharp money. It's probably just more, uh, you know, probably the first time you've seen USC at you know seventy-five to one or hundred to one. So we have a pretty big liability on them. Uh, uh, Georgia was a little bit of a, a wise guy play. And then some other bets from from sharp guys uh, are Oregon at uh, thirty five to one, uh, Penn State at fifty to one, and uh, you know they stay away from the favorites. You're not going to see the wise guys coming in on Clemson, Alabama, you know two to one or three to one. Uh, so they're looking at kind of legitimate uh, contenders. Uh, kind of Texas is another one that uh, got a, got a, drew a little fire. I don't believe in Texas. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that one. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not really worried about that. We haven't moved it too much. We moved it from uh, twenty to one down to fifteen to one, but uh, we're, we're hanging hanging tough at fifteen to one. Why? Uh, why don't you believe in? The, why don't you believe in Texas? A, I don't know that the talent is there yet. Um, B, I feel like and. and uh, Tom Herman, and I'm, I'm giving the podcasters a little bit of a preview, podcast listeners. Later on the show, Phil Steele is going to talk about Tom Herman not being a great coach as a favorite. And he doesn't believe that, he believes that is something that can be overcome. I do not. I think that that is something that is inherent in the psychology of the way a coach approaches the game. Pat Fitzgerald is the same way. These guys have found a lot of success. Tom Herman before Texas uh, and Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, similar molds. They have found a lot of success getting their guys amped with a little bit less talent to play against the big boys and, um, and uh, exceed expectations. And I think when you are a coach who can sort of get people to an emotional peak it's really much harder to do it 
on a week in week out basis when you are a favorite. Wow. That's pretty insightful. That was pretty good. Yeah. Got to admit, even the intern in the office right now, he's shaking his head. He's smiling. <laughs> he's like, this, he's like, yeah. he's like, this is the most I've learned all summer. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Take that back to school. Psychology class. Drop that. Drop that on his profs. You're like, that guy knows what he's doing. He learned a lot this internship. So that's why Texas doesn't scare me. Oregon is really interesting to me. Because Oregon is a team that should, it scares me and it should scare you. Because that Pac-12 is wide open, Scooch. Wide open. And Oregon could run that table. They got a lot of good athletes. Their recruiting classes continue to get better. And that is a, like, they can come out of that in the playoff. That's a scary one. Tell me how you're feeling about that one. I do. I, I, I mean, I, I am scared of them. Uh, I mean, after kind of uh, four years of this, this uh, coach, uh, they've, they've made significant uh, uh, strides. Uh, I mean, last year, I think they had nine wins. Uh, they beat, uh, I think, Michigan State uh, in one of the bowl games. Uh, they're, they're coming from their peak, you know, like about 10 years ago, they had their, their regression and their what I consider to be the top two two teams in the Pac-12. So uh, uh, they, they do scare me at these odds. Mario Cristobal, by the way, is the head coach. That's the name you were looking for. Yeah, yeah. Is it Cristobal or Cristobal? Good question. <laughs> do we need to know how to pronounce the names of the coach in order to bet on the team and feel good about that particular wager? I think you do. Really? <laughs> I wouldn't want people calling me Bob Sushi. People should only call you Scooch. Okay. Scooch! <laughs> and that's how they should say it. All right, so Texas doesn't scare me. Oregon, I agree with the choice. Um, what was the other one? Georgia. Oh, Georgia. Georgia. Georgia! They're on my mind. You're a Scootle? Sing it. <laughs> I got Georgia on my mind. That's a really interesting one. That, like, this team can compete with Alabama. This team can beat Alabama in a conference title game. This team can beat Alabama in a playoff. They have played Alabama so tough. They are such a good team. They have a quarterback who has been around, who has beaten back competition, who has gotten better and better every single year. He's one of those guys who's going to feel like he's been playing for 50 years, even though he's only a junior. Like, this is a team that I think could compete. I think you made a mistake even posting him at 8-1. to one. And I know you opened lower than other places. Yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, and I guess that's the criteria now. Like, you know, who can beat Clemson and, and Alabama? And uh, that's certainly one of the teams that can. You know, at those odds, I mean, we're not going to get we're not going to get hurt. We have more bets on Georgia, I think, than any other team. As I'm looking at this, uh, more individual wagers on Georgia than any other team on the board. Uh, but because at eight to one, uh, the liability isn't as great as some of those long shots. But uh, this is, uh, yeah, this is one I'm probably uh, uh, a little worried about. More individual wagers on Georgia than anybody else on the board. That's fascinating. On our, on our board, yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, uh, Close second is actually uh, Notre Dame. 
Uh, and that's an interesting one, too. But uh, a lot of that is just uh, the public support for Notre Dame and just you know their, their nationwide appeal. Yeah. I mean, look, that's a team that also, you know, it's going to be competitive. Um, they played strong last year. And so there's a lot of sort of there's a lot of public sentiment for what they're going to do. So I can see that one. Also, their helmets are shiny. Yeah, and the same with USC. Like I said, they're our biggest liability on the board. We get absolutely annihilated on them. Uh, but uh, you know, their season win total is six and a half games. So I'm not, I'm not super worried that they're going to have a breakout year. Who are the five season win totals you're most worried about right now? Um, well, we've got a lot of them on the board, actually. Uh, I mean, some of them are just kind of some small teams, but like San Diego State, uh, we probably hung a little bit higher number than we should have, eight and a half over money, and they just pounded that one under eight and a half. Stanford, we hung a low total at six and a half, and that got bet up to six and a half over a dollar fifty. So we get kind of hammered on that one. Um, Like I said, USC is one that uh, uh, not, not too worried about it. Um, Hawaii's an interesting one. Now, again, we have a lot of uh, Hawaiian clientele at, at our at our properties, so over five and a half games on that one. Uh, not really sure how much of that was uh, from the Hawaiian clientele, and I don't think that was too many too many uh, professional betters betting on that one. Um, some of those are probably some of our biggest. Uh, again, Notre Dame over nine and a half games is. Uh, um, pretty big decision, but again, that's probably a lot of public money, and um, and they're betting and some sharp money on Oklahoma under ten and a half games. How many bets did you get on Clemson? I bet you you posted Clemson. I bet at eleven and a half. Exactly. How many bets on the over did you get? Um. Quite a few, uh, probably about uh, five times more than the under. Wow, that much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, most of the bets: uh, Alabama over, Clemson over, Ohio State over. Uh, all three of them. Uh, almost nothing on the under on all three of those teams. What about Michigan? Um. Yeah, Michigan. I think ten and a half over, ten and a half under a dollar sixty. But they did bet that under ten and a half games. We're up to ten and a half minus a dollar ninety on the under. It's an interesting one. A lot of people like in Michigan. I know in our college's podcast on the Action Network, Stucky and Colin Wilson. Stucky, Stucky has an. Evan loves Kirsten affection for Michigan right now. <laughs> you all love the energy of that, uh, that team and, and the way Harbaugh gets them up for, I, I mean, he, he has such a unique approach. I mean, love him or hate him. Uh, there's, there's a certain energy that he brings to the games that uh, it's one of those intangibles. It's so interesting to me, you know, one of the things that we noticed last year when we launched the Action Network, is, which I knew, but the activity in the betting space for college football. 
if you had to guess, because I know it's hard to break down, if you had to guess, would you say that your handle for college football is equal to your handle for NFL? No, no, it's, uh, I mean, really nothing comes close to, to NFL because it just has such wide appeal. And as much as popular as college uh, football is, it's a little bit more regionalized. And uh, so we don't get the mass or broad appeal that NFL has. But having said that, there's just so many more college games that, you know, the handle approaches NFL only in the sense that there's, you know, three times more more games. And, and if the handle on each game is like, you know, a third of an NFL game, it'll kind of equal the total handle. Does that make sense? There's just too many. There's just so it's like our handle in baseball is uh, almost as much as uh, football only because there's games every single day as opposed to once a week. Right. So what you're saying is handle per game is a, is more indicative of a T of a sports popularity for betting than overall handle. Exactly. Hmm. Now having, you know, this is the first year that we've opened up, sports betting in other regions. And I will say that our two properties in Mississippi, college football outrights NFL. Uh, they'll get a lot of money on the Saints because of the proximity of, of New Orleans to uh, uh, Biloxi, Mississippi. But uh, college is king down there. And like I said, it's, it's, you know, it's all SEC country. And uh, so, so it's not a surprise to see more money on, on college than NFL down there. No, no, that totally makes sense. But then that also impacts how you're going to set your lines, right? How you're going to set your totals? How are you going to set your uh, future odds? Like, do you shade Mississippi State? Do you shade Ole Miss? How do you manage that? It's interesting because that was kind of the idea when we first were thinking about this years ago when we opened up into other states. And, you know, you get if you open up in Philadelphia, do you shade the Eagles a little bit? And the approach that we've found that works is just set what we think is the right number and just let the chips kind of fall where they may. And if we think four is the right number, we're not going to make it four and a half just because we know that the bets are going to be coming in on Georgia down there. Or so, and we found that it's, uh, it's worked uh, in, you know, it's very early stages. Maybe it's not a big enough sample size, but um, it worked pretty well last year. And I think uh, we may just continue to do that. We're going to, we're going to move to the sharp guys, you know, guys that we respect, whether they bet here or whether they bet in Mississippi. We still respect them, uh, but we're not just going to shade a line on every game down there. Um, now, having said that, there are certain instances during the season, don't get me wrong, we may shade it half a point here and there, but by and large, we're going to stick to what we feel is a good number. All right, Scoosh, let's recap for a second. Georgia, Oregon, USC, Texas, Notre Dame. Those are the future odds that are giving you the most agita as we head into the college football season. That's accurate? Exactly. Yep. And amazingly, amazingly, the the win totals that are giving you the most concern are not even like the win totals that are interesting to anybody. San Diego State, Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's typical. I can't tell you, like on a college Saturday, 
you know, it'll, Ohio State, Michigan will be playing, and and that won't even be our biggest decision of the day. Our biggest decision will be kind of Rice and Air Force or something like that. <laughs> it's, it's very typical. I guess that's true, but that's my point about college football. That's why it's so amazing is the passion extends far wider than it does for the NFL. Like the places you can pick your spots, what's going to be interesting, the places where people think they can make their money is going to be a far wider, maybe it's a mile wide and an inch deep compared to the NFL. But that to me is what makes college football so fascinating as a sport to bet on and a sport to track for betting news. And, and people really focus on a particular conference or a particular region, and they seem to do well in one area. And we've noticed that over the years, too. Certain betters, professional betters that we followed, uh, you know, we find that they're much stronger in one conference than they are in another. And, you know, if we're getting bets from them in that conference, we're going to move it much more aggressively than if they kind of cross over and bet like an NFL game. Like, okay, yeah, he's taking a shot in NFL, but he knows his stuff in this, you know, in the SEC or, or you know, the, the Big 12 or Big 10. All right, Scooch. You did a good, you, All right. you, you did good work today. Uh, we're going to, the next, the next guest, we got to get to Phil Steele and Phil Steele got even deeper college football information than you do, but thank you for coming on your podcast. Well, I appreciate coming on my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You're thanking yourself for coming on your own podcast. You really are a class act. No wonder you're bookmaker of the world. You're like, you've been in the hospitality business for so long. You're thanking yourself. Right. (laughs) It was fun to be here again. All right, Bob Scucci. I'll talk to you later. All right, as promised, joining me on the podcast, this man writes what might possibly be the Bible for sports betters, uh, which is a refrain I have heard in 20 years of covering sports betting. Mr. Phil Steele writes Phil Steele's college football preview. The 2019 edition is available. Go to philsteele.com. How you doing, Phil? You know, I am doing great, Chad, and uh, miss having our conversations over at ESPN, but I hope all is well with you. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I'm excited to get deep into college football because no one goes deeper than you. I know the effort that you put into the preview. I know that's why gamblers love it and praise it and feel like it's Christmas when they get it back in their mailbox. Um, You've got how many pages? 350 pages of a college football preview this year? Yeah, 352, and uh, it's about the same size we've had the last couple of years because the printer told us if we go much larger that the binding starts to break, break off easier. So we've we sort of limited it to 352 the last couple of years. But uh, as usual, very little ads and uh, mostly information on top of information. Yeah, so you're going through, you're, you're looking at literally every single team in college football that will eventually be bowl eligible or college football playoff eligible. And... Um, give people a little bit of insight into the effort you put into it. How many coaches you've spoken to, how many recruiter, uh, how many coordinators you've spoken to, like you're not just looking at the internet and then reframing everything. Yeah, it's quite a bit different than uh, the first year of the magazine. Uh, back then, we had about 180 pages. It was a black and white on newsprint. But this year, I talked to uh, over 110, or I believe it was about 110, of the 130 head coaches out there. And the, the conversations generally last 
about an hour. I send them my sheets with the players on. I like to have them put all my guys in the right order, give me a few notes on each player, and generally it's a pretty lengthy conversation. But I tell you what, Chad, the, the other magazines were hitting the newsstand in the middle of May, which means they came out in the middle of April. I was just doing my coaches' interviews post-spring, so it was all May was my post-spring interviews. And uh, I feel we've got the three deeps well in line for all the teams. Really has, has got the, the information. It's six months putting this book together. We start the Sunday after Thanksgiving and go all the way through the end of May. And we come out a little bit later than everybody else, but there's a lot of folks that will wait around for the magazine to come out as opposed to just buying the first couple uh, football magazines that come out and stop in there. All right, you spoke to 110 coaches. Yes. What is the most, when you, give me a nugget, when you heard it, you were like, oh my God, this is amazing. I can't wait to get it into the magazine. <laughs> um, boy, that's, that's tough. Uh, it's, I don't know if there's, I can tell you there's some nuggets that I got from the coaches that I couldn't put into the magazine. <laughs> those would probably be the most memorable All right, ones. Tell me those. <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> Phil, that's no good. That's not good for a podcast. You've got to give me information. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to have to work on that. Let's get to the next subject. I'll put my mind on something that I can I can share with you. All right, put your mind on something right now. If I am betting on a team that is undervalued right now, who is that? You know, even though my magazine came out and uh, uh, put a, a label on them and, and it's hiked up their value considerably, I still think it's the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And, you know, last year was my uh, number one most improved team in the country was Florida. And Florida was coming off a 4-7 and seven season. They ended up number seven in the final polls. They did have that much improved year. And this year I look at it with Nebraska. You know, Nebraska is a team that last year Scott Frost took over a pass-happy offense. Uh, Mike Riley was uh, pure pass and the offensive line was built for pass blocking. He had to come in, change the blocking schemes on the offensive line, get him to more of the spread option. He did bring in a proper quarterback in Adrian Martinez, but it took time. Those first six games last year, they averaged 23 points per game. But over the last six games, how about 37 points per game? Much more impressive. Now they're in the second year of the system. The offensive line's geared to the schemes. Martinez is back. And then you look at the defense. They've got six starters back from a banged-up unit last year. I think they're going to have their best defense they've had in years. And then you have to factor the schedule. If you're looking for value in the over-unders, uh, Nebraska last year took on a brutal schedule. They had Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State. Well, Michigan drops off the schedule. Michigan State drops off the schedule. Penn State stays off the schedule. In fact, the only Eastern team they play uh, that was above, above among the big four last year was Ohio State. They gave Ohio State everything they wanted in Columbus. Only lost that game by five. Now they get Ohio State at home. So they've got the potential for that one. And then you look at the West. The West is wide open. There's no dominant team. Probably their toughest three foes that they face are Iowa, Northwestern, and Wisconsin. Guess what? They get all three of them at home in Lincoln. It wouldn't surprise me this year if Nebraska went from four wins up to double-digit wins. And I'm actually picking them to win the Big Ten West. Of course, a lot of the media members also read the magazine, so they were recently the pick to win the Big Ten West uh, by the Big Ten media. But uh, they're, they're still an undervalued team. I believe the total only about eight and a half on them all right nebraska is an interesting choice uh you mentioned wisconsin you mentioned northwestern you mentioned iowa northwestern is one of those teams that always fascinates people and always fascinates me because they are so inconsistent and tell me about your thoughts on northwestern right now in the west 
especially as they match up against Iowa and Wisconsin. Yeah, and as you touch on, this is a Northwestern team that can probably, the way Pat Fitzgerald coaches, he's a great underdog coach. I mean, his teams have pulled a ton of upsets in recent years, but He's also not a great favorite. His teams have been upset quite a bit. Uh, you can almost make your money just playing the underdog in Northwestern games. But when I look at Northwestern this year, I think your wild card factor is going to come down to the quarterback. Hunter Johnson comes in. He was my number one rated quarterback uh, when he signed at Clemson. He is now here at Northwestern. I think he could come in and do even better than when Clayton Thorson did last year. Remember, Thorson only had a 17-15 ratio. They've got a fairly deep backfield. Isaiah Bowser, Moten, and Anderson there. Uh, off Defensive line's a question mark. They only have two starters back. But defensively, they got the brand. They've got the names for once. Gaziano and Patty Fisher are both back up front on the defensive front seven. The secondary's my question mark there. And then you look at their schedule this year. They're going to be an underdog at Stanford, home against Michigan State, at Wisconsin, at Nebraska, home to Ohio State, and at Indiana. But nobody expected them to win the Big Ten West last year, and yet they won it by two games. So they're one of those teams that, on paper, they look like they should win six games this year. Now the question is, will they win just six games, or will Pat Fitzgerald do what Pat Fitzgerald normally does? It's a great point you make about them being an underdog team. They're always the team that is more fun to root for when they are an underdog than when they're a favorite. You know, last year, Chad, as a dog, Northwestern went 6-0-1 against the spread. As a favorite, 0-5. Hmm. there's a little bit of a trend, and that's pretty much been the M.O. for Pat Fitzgerald since he took over. God, that's fascinating that he is that bad of a favorite coach. Yeah, he got he got he had a couple of years where he did okay as a favorite, but the general thing is it's always us against the world philosophy for Pat Fitzgerald. That works when you're the underdog. doesn't work quite so much when you're the favorite. All right, so let's let's think about that. That's an interesting thread to follow for a second. How do you think about coaches when it comes to handicapping in college football? You know, I think the coach is a big part of the game. And some coaches thrive, you know, at home and maybe not so much on the road. Some coaches thrive as a dog not as a favorite. And then there are some that like to crush opponents when they're in a favorite's role. But uh, I think we find more head coaches do well, like Tom Herman of uh, Texas, for example. He's another one that's just like uh, Pat Fitzgerald. Tom Herman of Texas is one of the best underdog coaches out there. In fact, Texas usually pulls upsets when in the underdog role. You look at his uh, two years at Texas, he is 4-1 uh, and one as an underdog, but as a home favorite, he's just 3-7. and seven. And that plays back to his days at Houston when he was a poor home favorite, but an amazing dog and pulling upsets of ranked teams on a regular basis. So once again with Tom Herman, and I think this is going to change at Texas eventually when he gets the talent where it's no longer being in that underdog role coming in. All of a sudden they turn into a favorites role. I think he'll become a better favorite head coach down the road. But right now, Tom Herman does not do well as a home favorite, but does great as an underdog. That doesn't bode well. I actually disagree with you because I think that doesn't bode well for Tom Herman that he's always able to, to coach up his team and get them excited and come up with a game plan against superior talent. But he's at a place where he's always going to have superior talent in the long run, as long as he, he lasts that long. And to not be able to find ways to utilize that or to out-game plan against the people who are then chasing him. You know, in this world, like, there are people who are great at being chased and there are people who are great at being on top. And, like, 
that's an interesting scenario for a lot of coaches who step up from mid-tier programs into high-tier programs as far as betters are concerned. He's a really fascinating case study. Yeah, he definitely is. And, you know, the one thing I think will improve for him, though, is the fact that when he was at Houston and when he was here at Texas his first couple of years, I personally don't think Charlie Strong did a tremendous job recruiting. I don't know if he had Texas talent his first couple of years. You look at their defense this year, they only have three returning starters. But when I go player for player down the the line on their defense, I think they probably have more athletic talent defensively than they had last year or the year before. And once Tom Herman starts getting those athletes where maybe he'll do better as a favorite once he has the players that could be in the role of favorites. Maybe he's been favored in the past because of the upsets he's pulled, not necessarily because of the talent he was rolling out on the field. All right, so you mentioned Nebraska is your most improved, and for years this has been a Phil Steele staple. Like, you are able to identify, you mentioned Florida this past year. A couple years ago you had Michigan in there. If you were thinking about your other most improved teams, they're probably teams that are going to have value when it comes to season win totals. Uh, Give me your other most improved teams. Uh, Let me give you a couple of them out of the box. And uh, one of them is going to be Florida Atlantic. And Florida Atlantic is a team that had a bad year last year, but Lane Kiffin's still there. Uh, I like the overall talent that they have. And they're playing in a division where it's easier. They're playing in a conference, the CUSA conference, where it's easier to move from the bottom to the top. They were they sort of bottomed out last year at 5-7. and seven. But Remember how dominant they were down the stretch in uh, 2017. I think they're going to have a big improvement. But uh, a couple of teams I'm really high on this year, Florida State, my number three most improved team. Now, Florida State's had two bad years in a row. They uh, basically had to reschedule the game just to get to a bowl two years ago. And then last year had their first losing season since 1976. Been a long time. Now, Willie Taggart will be on the hot seat. When I talked to Coach Taggart, and here's, here's probably an interesting uh, point for you with the coaches' conversations, Chad. You know, Coach Taggart told me that he felt the players at Florida State were a little hurt by Jimbo Fisher going to what they perceive as a lateral job, Florida State to Texas A&M. And that that hurt the transition a little bit last year because the players didn't really understand, hey, he's leaving. But now this year, all the players he feels are bought into the program. They are a pretty deep team. When you look at Florida State, they do go two to three deep in most positions. They look good getting off the bus. I think we're going to see Florida State be a much improved team this year. And they don't have to go through the shock factor of their longtime head coach leaving for perhaps what what the Florida State players thought uh, was a lateral move job. Then the number four team, how about Virginia Tech? And hold on, hold on, hold on, Phil, hold okay, on. Go ahead. Point go of ahead. order, point of order. Uh, Florida State, I'm glad yes. you brought them up. So uh, the Action Network has a college football podcast starring Colin Wilson and Stucky, and they did their ACC preview. Everyone should go listen to it. It's brilliant. Colin Wilson, who is our lead college football analyst, is all in on Florida State as you are. He thinks this could be a 10-win team, and he looks at their defense and how they've significantly improved every year. And one mate, one note he made on the podcast, which I thought was fascinating, was that Florida State succumbed to bad field position last year, that their offense could not do anything, their offensive line could not get a push, and so the defense was constantly put in a bad position as far as where the other team was lining up on the field when they got the ball back. Um, how does Florida State improve that new quarterback? Offensive line is still struggling. Tell me why you see improvement in Florida State other than sort of Willie Taggart having a second year and the players mentally being in a better place. 
Yeah, I agree that the defense was better than the yards per game. That sort of collapsed at the end of the year last year. You know, they gave up uh, 59 to Clemson, 47 to NC State. Once the season uh, had lost hope, their, their season sort of spiraled at the end. Uh, now, the offensive line has been a problem for five years, but they figure to be better on the offensive line, second year of the blocking schemes, and they do have the skill players. I mean, Terry, a wide receiver, McKitty, a tight end, Matthews, a receiver. Uh, you look at their backfield, and, and when I talked to Coach Taggart last spring and was going over the team, he said, Phil, watch Kalen LeBourne at running back. This guy could emerge. I know we've got running backs coming back, but he could be in for a big year. And then LeBourne gets injured. I think it was the first game of the season was out for the year. Well, LeBourne's back, Akers back, Grant, Grant back, so they are loaded in the backfield. And I, I'm going to agree with that assessment. I think with uh, a little bit better offensive play, that defense could very well be dominant uh, this season. In fact, I think they're a top-20 defense, despite the fact they gave up 31.5 points per game last year. This year, my computer's calling for them to give up just 22 points per game. That's an improvement of nine points per game and should be one of the, the larger improvements in college football. Uh, Colin Wilson went so far as to say he could see Florida State being a crazy 65-1 to long shot to make the playoff. Uh, you know, 65-1, to I like to play roulette, Chad, so yeah. I'm always willing to throw a few bucks on the number straight <laughs> on because it could hit. Uh, it, it'd be worth it. I mean, you know, if they played Clemson and beat them on the road, then they'd be right there in the sh- with a shot to get there. But it's just worth a roulette chip. That's about it. All right. So you were going to say Virginia Tech. I didn't. I cut you off there. And I. I oh yeah. No I won't even say that I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I deliberately cut you off. <laughs> I love it. Sometimes I need to be cut off, Chad. Tell <laughs> me about. Tell I, me. It's interesting. You're going two ACC teams for improvement. Tell me about Virginia yeah. Tech. Yeah, let me tell you. Now, it's a conversation I had with uh, their defense coordinator, Bud Foster, last year. And going over the defense with him, uh, now, you know, Bud Foster is one of the best defense coordinators in the game. And uh, naturally, you expect Virginia Tech's defense to be great every year. Well, we get to the end of the conversation. I'm like, Coach, you know, a lot of coaches out there, you know, like uh, Fleck over at Minnesota, we're a young team, we're a young team. They all say they're a young team. But generally, you're going to have 60% underclassmen because you sign freshmen, you have a redshirt freshman class, sophomore class, juniors and seniors, and there's attrition at the top classes. So most teams are 60% underclassmen. But talking to Coach Foster last year, we got the end of the conversation. I go, Coach, every coach out there says they're young, but you are young. And you can't afford to lose anybody. He's like, yeah, as long as we keep our front front personnel, the starters, okay, we'll be okay. And then they lost two or three players, start, projected starters, over the summer. And then they lost another two players in the first couple weeks of the season. And what happened? Virginia Tech's defense was not very Bud Foster-ish last year. They gave up 439 yards per game and 31 points per game last year. Now, this year, that defense has 10 returning starters coming back. So they're going to be much stronger on the defensive side out of the ball. Offensively, I like what I saw to Ryan Willis. He's a big quarterback. He's 6'4", 223. He took over midseason last year. He's a Kansas transfer. Uh, they've got a good offensive line in front of him. I think the offense will be fine. And then you look at their schedule this year. You know, the Boston College game, I think, could be pivotal right out of the box. If they win that game, you're going to see a team playing with a lot more confidence. They do have to play at Miami and at Notre Dame. But they get most of their toughest opponents at home. You know, a couple of their road games this year. Georgia Tech is a road game. Boston College is a road game fall into the winnable category. So I've got VT uh, contending with Miami in the ACC Coastal. And Virginia Tech's another one of those teams off a rare losing season. They usually bounce back and bounce back big. This is an interesting question. 
if I do say so myself. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of people will say, like, what are the stats that you look at most when trying to power rank a team for the next year? And you mentioned Virginia Tech's defense has 10 returning starters, but you also mentioned they gave up 439 yards a year last, per game last year. So why is it that having these players who did not play particularly well returning is of value in terms of Virginia Tech potentially improving? Yeah, in this case, I mean, just like I said, going through, and when you go through position by position with a coach like I do, you really get a good feel for what the team is. And this was an inexperienced squad. And his basic thing last year was, you know, we'd get to the player, he'd be like, hey, I like the size. I like the speed, but this guy just hasn't seen the field. He needs to gain some experience. I like the size, I like the speed, but this kid just hasn't seen the field. And that was a a refrain from the start of the first player on the defensive line to the last player of the secondary. Then to lose the five players that they did was huge. They just were extremely an extremely green team last year, but he did like the talent. And we talked even last year when we were having the conversation that this year's defense would be much better because they had the size, they had the speed, but they would now be experienced. So I think that's a huge factor, as long as the talent's there. And the talent was there. And remember Bud Foster's defenses. They run a lot of stunts and a lot of blitzes. And when you have a young team, one player out of place can sometimes result in a big play for a touchdown, whereas when that player has experience, all of a sudden that door closes and they stop the play. But Foster uh, leaving at the end of this year, how does that impact? Sad, that, yeah, how sad does that impact about that. I, I think he's one of the best defensive coordinators out there. I love the whole lunch, lunch bucket thing, and uh, just uh, it's a big loss for college football. And you know that was probably the best move that Justin Fuente made when he took over, because generally when a first year head coach takes over a team, he's got a learning curve. He's got to learn the players' strengths and weaknesses. Players have to learn new systems. He kept Bud Foster. So there was no problem with the defense in his first couple years at the helm. And all he had to do was work on the offense. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to miss Coach Foster. All right, so we got five more minutes. There happen to be four teams that get to make the playoff, two teams that get to play in a championship, and one team that gets to win. Give me your four, two, and your one. Uh, naturally, Alabama and Clemson are there. Clemson will be a 17-point favorite in every game this year. Alabama will be a double-digit favorite in every game. Both teams are going to have unstoppable offenses. The other two teams I went with, I went with Georgia. Uh, Georgia being a, a team that, you know, the last two years when they've played Alabama, they've trailed for a grand total of one minute and four seconds. Other than that, they've either been tied or ahead in the games uh, and could easily have beaten Bama both years. They're an even better team this year with Swift at running back from a QB. And I've got them favored in all, all 12 games this year. And then the other one going out of the box here, Chad, you know, the last 11 years I've picked Ohio State higher than Michigan. Uh, 11 straight years. I've only been wrong once. Ten of the years Ohio State's finished higher. This year I'm taking Michigan. And uh, Michigan's got the defense with Don Brown. They've got the quarterback uh, with Shea Patterson, who's now in the spread offense, which I think is a big plus. They've got four offensive linemen who are potential All-Americans, and they've got a great special teams. Plus they have the schedule where Notre Dame, Michigan State, and Ohio State are all at home. So I, I think Michigan can make the playoff this year. Then naturally for the two, I'm – 
I'm going to have to go with the big boys. I'd, I'd love to go out of the box and pick somebody else, but Alabama and Clemson just loaded. And for the championship game this year, uh, I'm giving a slight edge to Alabama for these factors. I think both they have the number one, number two offense. You can put Clemson one, you can put Alabama one. They're going to both be within a point of each other offensively. Defensively, last year, Bama only had three returning starters. This year, they have six. So I, when you look at what Clemson lost on that D-line, three first-round draft picks and a third-round draft pick, I give Alabama a slight edge defensively. I give Alabama a slight edge on special teams. And then the final factor, Clemson's going to enter the season number one. They're going to blow out all their opponents. They're going to be number one into the playoffs. Do you know that in their four meetings, Chad, the number one team has actually lost all four times? So that's got to be the Alabama's advantage once again in the title game and throwing that 44-16 to chip on their shoulder. Last year when Alabama entered the playoff, there was talk, is this the greatest team of all time? And I think the players bought into it. This year they'll enter the playoff, and I think Nick Saban will just say, you know what, 44-16, to get your heads in, in gear. And I, I think we're going to see Alabama re- repeat or return, I should say, as national champs this year. Phil, I feel like I missed one. Wait, you said Alabama, Clemson, Michigan? Georgia. Georgia, that's right, Georgia. Georgia, I totally forgot about Georgia. You had that great stat that Georgia was only down for a minute four against Alabama in their games. Um, Wow. Alabama, Clemson again, only you got Alabama winning. You know, the good news, Chad, if you're rooting so it's not Alabama-Clemson, you know, last year when Al- when uh, Clemson hosted Syracuse, they were a four-touchdown favorite. They actually trailed by two scores in the fourth quarter. They needed a third-string quarterback to complete a fourth-and-ten fourth pass to keep their final scoring drive alive. Had they lost that game, Syracuse would have been 7-1. and one. They would have been 7-1 and one in the ACC. Syracuse would have been in the ACC title game, and Clemson might have missed the playoffs last year. I remember watching that game. That was a great game. Yeah, no doubt. And like I said, would it have been some of Clemson would have missed the playoffs last year? Listen, this is why they play the games, Phil. It can't just be what you say in your magazine is going to happen. <laughs> they got to get on the field. And I, I love that aspect. And the beautiful thing about college football, Chad, is with the 14 playoff, every weekend is important. There are no no gimmies. You can't you cannot afford to slip up. Every weekend is a playoff, Phil. That's right. All right, everybody, go to philsteel.com, buy this magazine. You need to read it if you're going to do anything related to college football this year. Watch, pick, rank, argue, debate. I know every single person in media is reading this magazine right now to get ready for college football. You should, too. All right, I want to thank my guest, Phil Steele, for coming on, the favorites from the Action Network, and, of course... Bob Scucci, bookmaker of the world. He will be back with us all season long. This has been The Favorites from the Action Network. I am Chad Millman. Download it from Apple Podcasts, from radio.com slash the Action Network, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, unsubscribe, rate, review, tell your friends. Until next time, love you. Love you.